Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to our supporters, Festival Republic. You've probably spent a weekend in a field with them at some point. They put on some of the UK's best known festivals. They're also leading when it comes to sustainability. From powering their events with cleaner energy to sending zero waste to landfill, they've already switched single-use plastic bottles to those made from recycled materials, brought in deposit return schemes for cups and trialled ideas like labelling the carbon footprint of the food on sale. They're also active in greening the music industry more broadly. They've signed up to Music Declares Emergencies pledges and they're a driving force within Vision 2025, a body bringing outdoor events and climate goals together. Sounds Like a Plan is all about ideas and solutions, so it made sense to me to team up with one of the most proactive festival organisers out there. One of their main events is the incredible Leeds Festival, always such a huge lineup. It takes place at Bramham Park, Leeds, from the 26th to the 28th of August 2022. Weekend tickets are already on sale so head to leadsfestival.com forward slash tickets that's leadsfestival.com forward slash tickets to get yours so big up festival republic for their support and their essential work they say their job is to preserve the live music experience for generations to come and that is something that we can all get behind Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is taking action in the climate crisis. I'm Greg Cochran, I'm a journalist and podcaster. And I'm Faye Milton, a musician, producer and co-founder of Music Declares Emergency. This time on the podcast, we are joined by Charlotte Church. Obviously known for her activism and stellar music career, Charlotte's also developing two ambitious grassroots projects in Wales. It's all deeply rooted in nature, sound and spirituality. Also, Charlotte is a co-founder of a democratic community school and we talked to her about the vital role of climate education. Yes, and we'll also leave you with some recommendations. So let's get into the podcast. I can't start this podcast without asking you about the outcomes of COP26, Faye. Um, you and I were both up there in Glasgow for a little bit of it. I should probably quickly plug the fact that we recorded a special episode of Sounds Like a Plan in Glasgow with Raoul Reynolds, um, if you want to go and check that out. But um, yeah, the summit ended about a week ago in um, quite dramatic fashion, obviously some last minute amendments to, to the agreement that was coming together, particularly to do with the language around getting rid of uh, fossil fuels, specifically coal. So Faye, this is a big question, but what were you expecting to happen going into COP26 and now with a little bit of distance since it's all kind of started to settle what do you make of the outcomes of what happened up there i feel like i was expecting something really big to come out of it like cop 21 in paris where there was the paris agreement which was the huge sort of agreement between all nations to try and keep temperatures below 1.5 degrees warming or two degrees warming so i was expecting something momentous like that and i don't think that happened what do you think? I agree, although I, I, I guess, as I sort of said throughout, I wasn't necessarily sure how this was all going to unfold, as in like the, the you know, during COP, there are kind of various announcements on different days. I, I, I'd sort of prepared myself for the fact that the outcomes of COP would land 
somewhere in the middle of the spectrum mm. of like momentous and completely failing us on the saturday night when it all was being announced and i kind of went online and i just looked through my timeline and my timeline was just on fire of people were just full of rage some you know just so disappointed with with what had happened but then also within the next kind of 24 hours some people are unpicking it obviously like it's this is this, this is complicated stuff like the experts kind of going through and going now, you know what? hey what this is some of this is pretty good this is good progress mm. and at the other end of people just saying like tear the system down like we need to get out on the streets immediately kind of thing and I was just a bit like I didn't really know what I thought of that I suppose when it was all happening in in those hours after day or so afterwards that was my first reaction yeah I was a bit similar I mean obviously my my social media feed is just like all climate pages and everyone's getting really like oh, it's terrible and then I, I don't really like that attitude I think it's like you have to find the positives because yeah if you want to just go down the road of everything's terrible then where does it end? <laughs> That's not a road I want to go down. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's there are some positives. Christiana Figueres wrote a great article in The Guardian mm-hmm. just explaining she found some positives in it. She's amazing. She's a very optimistic <laughs> human being. Stubborn optimistic, um, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, she found some positives, which is one of which is the next set of commitments is next year rather than in five years' time. So that makes absolute perfect sense so a little bit of common sense prevailed and there's a few more things that she's saying that article i suggest people google christiana figueras and the guardian and read her article on it because it is it is quite positive yeah and then also i think the reality of it if you ever try and decide anything with a group of people you know you're you're at a festival you're trying to decide whether to go and see Liam Gallagher or Lizzo and like half the group (laughs) wants to do one thing half the group wants to do the other you're trying to make a decision and you end up missing both of them because you can't make the decision. Mm. That's like mm. group decision making and it's really, really hard. And I don't see how it's even possible to solve the gr- most fundamentally complicated problem that humanity's ever faced in that shorter mm. space of time. It's just not possible to do that. In a way, in my most generous moments, I'm like, well, how do you do that? How do you do all of that diplomacy and so many competing ideas and how do you make it work? And it is a hugely complicated task. So, you you know, politicians are not superhumans by any means. Mm. Um, So I think that has to be taken into account. Um, But I think there's what I took home, again, I think I mentioned this before, was that um, it really is the, the voices from more effective geographical areas, Um, often in the global south where people are calling for way more immediate change and it it's really the sort of overprivileged nations who get to twiddle their thumbs and think "Mm, I wonder if I care about this or not but you know it's in the post for everyone it's coming Mm. to everybody it's just coming to some places first and those places know the urgency of it because they're feeling it it's a case of you know classic sort of privilege countries that don't Mm. feel like they have to deal with it as quickly are twiddling their thumbs Mm. and it's um it's kind of gross in a way it's a bit (laughs) sort Mm. of makes me just really frustrated really just come on think of someone other than yourselves people alongside this away from the technicals of what was agreed and not agreed at cop 26 how have you felt like emotionally did you take a deep breath and think i'm going to come at this harder than ever before or did you feel that disillusionment or did you feel both and where are you at now yeah well I feel like I've come back really radicalized in in the sense of being like 
I've been vegan for years and years and I've never really mentioned it to people because people get a bit funny about it. And I said, really don't care other people eat, you know, people can eat what they want. But I found myself getting a little bit like, come on, you can do this. I don't know. Like animals are amazing. Stop eating them and it's better for the planet. And just really feeling like that passion and rage re-emerging of like, wanting things to move forward quicker than they are it's like impatience basically mm. of um i think you have to grow to thick skin and patience if you feel like you care about things that other people aren't caring about as much otherwise you'll go mad but i feel like my skin's got a bit thinner yeah yeah <laughs> how about yourself same i mean I f- yeah i feel like i mean you felt it kind of at the time when we were in glasgow you talked about it on that episode that we recorded there this just like renewed sense just of, of being there being stood there and, and experiencing that just just feeling kind of just dutiful in mm. some way of just being like nothing motivates quite like a job that's maybe been failed or think that it's been failed to a certain extent and so you just feel like deep breath like going to come back harder that's that's my view like a week on with a, with a little bit of of distance and i think that that idea of certain countries being so privileged they don't feel like they have to act quickly it goes down to the people in mm. those countries as well i mean i got back from cop 26 and went to a gig that night which was an amazing gig that hot chip put on um to raise money for mm. earth percent um i love that band they're brilliant um and they made a, a great t-shirt design from the Music Declares Emergency as well. So you can check that out on our shop, musicdeclares.shop. Mm-hmm. But I was talking <laughs> to someone, quick plug there. I was talking to someone at that gig about just the urgency of the action we need to take. And their attitude was very much like, okay, prove it to me, prove it to me, teach me, tell me. And it, what frustrated me is that we all know, we all know that this is an issue. And I think it's like mm. this resistance to taking it in and understanding and I don't know it's like some kind of I've got bored of teaching people basically (laughs) I'm like come on we all know now we've seen David Attenborough we've seen Greta Thunberg all of the science agrees with each other it's like it is like you can't um, yeah, I don't want to have to kind of persuade people anymore that climate change is the thing. So, uh. yeah, I think, <laughs> uh, I, what I would say is that I think it's linked into that and something that I'm I know I talk on this podcast quite often about the coverage of the climate crisis, because it's something that really fascinates me. The extent of it, the language around it. Where do you speak to people about it? How do you speak to people about it? All those kind of things like just endlessly fascinate me. And what I would say is that, yes, certainly people will have mixed views about the outcomes of COP26. One thing that I I don't think anybody can dispute is the fact that the coverage around it, the amount of headlines it made on TV, social media, newspapers, etc., was greater than ever before. Mm. Of course, like we're, we're in a climate emergency, you know, people who understand this will be like, yeah, but it still wasn't enough. But it was greater than ever before. Like we are, you know, the messaging is reaching people. That helps kind of mobilize people and change people's minds. And that is really, really important because even the parts of the agreement that are disappointing, that do need work in the very near future, then like the, the power of people, I said it before, the power of people, the more people with knowledge, the more they can act, the more they can use their voice basically. And I, I just will never undervalue that. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, I did think that it was a huge mainstream moment for, for, for the crisis. I just hope, and we can't really answer that question now, but I just hope that 
if we were sat here in three months' time, that you and I would still be talking about the fact that it's in the headlines. It can't go away. Yeah. It's really important. It Climate's doesn't. trending for life. Climate's trending. Number one trend. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right, so should we talk about this week's podcast guest? Absolutely. Hopefully bring in a little bit of um, stillness, calmness, centeredness after uh, all of the COP26 stuff. Listeners might well be most familiar with Charlotte Church because she reached global fame with her classical music singing career back in the late 90s when she was still just a young teenager and then for the great pop music that she was making. Latterly though she's also been well known for her political activism on fronts like anti-austerity, anti-Brexit, economic and racial inequality and generally encouraging public discourse on these issues and more. She's absolutely amazing um and uh you might remember she was also involved with the leveson media inquiry that was a, a big deal a few years ago and currently charlotte's actually part of charlotte church's late night pop dungeon basically a party band faye have you experienced this or do you know about this I have never had the pleasure, but I was literally thinking about them this morning of how much I want to hear Charlotte Church sing covers of pop songs. Yeah, totally. I mean, so basically imagine the greatest party band that has ever been and that's it. So like playing amazing covers from like Beyonce through to like indie rock classics or whatever. Um, and because Charlotte obviously has like a one in a million voice, she can pretty much sing absolutely everything. So I've not seen them, but I have got friends that have been to see them and said it was like the best night out they'd ever in ages. So they're, they're playing lots of different festivals currently but the reason we were talking to Charlotte was the past few years she has founded a couple of fascinating projects both of which have a climate angle there's the Arwin project which is a community democratic school that she started after she uh, found herself disillusioned with the mainstream education system um, when she was sending her own children to school so we wanted to talk a bit about climate science and education and where that sits with young people and learning and then also now the Rydal Dog project which she explains in the conversation you are about to hear but she's brought a piece of land in Wales and through various different community involvement and connections she's turning it into a healing retreat and she's hoping to invite musicians there and music will form a fairly kind of integral part of the experience that it is going to offer. I will put links in the show notes to both of those projects so you can go and check them out. The Rydal Dog project is also being made into a documentary series for the Discovery Channel so watch out for news on that in the near future. So yeah let's get into this. Loved, loved, loved speaking to the straight talking so totally proactive Charlotte Church here she is on Sounds Like a Plan. Charlotte so great to have you join us on Sounds Like a Plan. This podcast is all about music and culture's relationship with climate action and the environment and nature and that obviously takes in loads of different areas all sorts of things from transport to energy to lifestyle and education some of which we're obviously looking forward to talking to you about um, but broadly before we get into some of that and the, and the projects you're involved with can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with the climate emergency and nature and your local environment is it something that you think about every day these days because it's, it's a big passion of yours absolutely i think that i'm not doing as much as i could do and it weighs heavier and heavier um until you know you make the change essentially um but i suppose with a lot of the activism that i was doing a lot of it was sort of as uh, adrian marie brown would say who wrote this amazing book called emergent strategy it was a bit a bit mile wide inch deep as opposed to inch wide mile deep um and so I think I, I, I was feeling the call to do something a bit more grassroots, 
to do something which would have sort of direct impact rather than just waving a banner and and I and so I think that's why I've set up the things that I've set up which is uh, in the first instance the Owen project free to attend democratic school in the forest or democratic learning community in the forest um and the other thing I'm in the process of doing is setting up a healing retreat centre, which is being renovated at the moment. And there's a volunteer community that, that's living and working there. But in terms of my relationship with the climate crisis, I don't think I've yet got to that grief stage that I hear a lot of my friends talking about. I did sort of get to it because I read this paper called Deep Adaptation, which is a movement which is basically saying that it's already mm. gone too far and um, what we need to do now is manage the decline. So I watched this little film about deep adaptation the day before I gave birth. <laughs> and it was a bit, it was a lot, it really was. And I cried for the entire day. And then I spoke to, um, I mean, he's not, he's not quite a friend. I'd love for him to be more of a friend, but an associate, George Monbiot. And he sort of said, be careful with that stuff because actually there is a lot of hope. And that isn't necessarily the case. That isn't where necessarily the science is pointing us to. Um, and so that gave me a bit more hope again uh, and, and took me out of the grief. I mean, what I do know is that I'm, I'm, I'm living through the changes. I can feel it. I'm witnessing the weather changing. I'm witnessing it getting more extreme, more unpredictable, more fragile. Um, and I'm, I've been growing now for the last couple of years. I've got a little allotment. And, you know, once you start growing and you start tuning into the seasons more in the soil, even in that short time I've been doing that, you start to notice how, how everything is interconnected and how everything is affected by, you know, a particularly late spring or a particularly hot summer or whatever that might be. So I feel like I'm becoming more integrated with the natural world and so therefore I am more sensitive to what's happening in, in real time in terms of the, the, the climate. And for listeners who aren't aware of the um, Rydal Dog project that you just, just mentioned there, one of the things you're working on at the moment, can you describe it for us and, and, and where did the idea come from? Basically I um, used the last of my money that I earned as a child to by Laura Ashley's old house in mid Wales. <clears throat> it's right in the heart of Wales. It's glorious. There's 33 acres of woodland. There's two waterfalls on site, a hydro mill. <laughs> oh and the, the house itself is, is, a, is a shell. Like it, it needs a massive amount of renovation in the current state that it is. But really it's about the outdoor space for me. It's about all of this potential of this incredible valley. It's so beautiful and magical. So I've done that <laughs> and now there's a massive renovation project underway. Never wanting things to be too simple. I decided to sort of put a call out for uh, volunteers, for people who were interested in being a part of this building community. And it's sort of a labour exchange for being in this place and also um, a sort of well-being programme which the volunteers themselves are adding to. It's been a fascinating process so far. We've had volunteers there since about April. And uh, again, you know, as, as I think we're all guilty of, especially if you're jumping into projects that uh, you have absolutely no uh, idea about. 
<laughs> whether that's building a learning community or building a healing retreat center um it's far more complex it's far more complicated than you initially think it takes a great deal of life energy um but we've got 12 volunteers there currently and they're all amazing nice and we we've had people there's there's one woman there from texas um there's people from all over the country and they're all there for m many varying different reasons so um that in itself is is turning out to be an education for me in in all sorts of things but predominantly i think in in letting go of control and power which i think is something that's very important for a lot of us to learn especially those of us who are in positions of power or privilege so i mean just absolutely fascinating but mind-bogglingly complex sometimes i've got very very limited knowledge of what a, a healing retreat center um kind of looks like and does each day like what what is the vision for it and is it rooted in the sense that being out in nature in particular is really good for our physical and mental well-being so yeah there's three pillars one of them is nature connection or nature reconnection as many of us need one is sound sound healing and sound ceremony in all of its forms that might include chanting or singing songwriting breathing there are many different practices that can go along with sound healing and when you think about it that's how we've all been doing a great deal of our healing for many years you know you go through a bad breakup you turn to music somebody has died in their funeral it's it's all about the music so for a long time we've been using music for healing does that include things like gong baths as well I'm, I'm super into gong baths at the moment absolutely I'm also really into gong baths and I'm Hopefully over this next year, going to learn to be a sound healing practitioner myself. Oh, amazing. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that at some point in the not so distant future, I'll be there with a massive array of gongs and crystals mm. and I'll be singing, but I'll also have modular synths and... Oh yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, and for anyone listening who has no idea what a gong bath is, it's you lie down and people play these gongs and it's you hear it, but also the vibrations just move through your body and it feels like it feels like you're being purified somehow and your chakras are all being aligned and it's more than just a kind of airy fairy practice you just really feel it on a physical level absolutely well i think you know if you if you want to look at it in a science way then we are vibrational energy mm. you know it, all of our cells all matter is made up of vibrational energy so for in that context when you're talking about these really big vibrating sounds mm. then of course that's going to have an effect on us on our minds on the human body um on, on a physical level never mind where it can sort of take you spiritually and emotionally and, and mentally and i think then the third part of that will be co-creating culturally relevant ceremony i think there's a lot of us who aren't religious and so religion doesn't fill that gap we are lacking because we need help to move through these different passages of life, whether it's the rites of passage of a young person, whether it's, you know, becoming a mother, whether it's going through the menopause, um, whether it's being able to celebrate your manhood, whatever, you know, there are so many big, big things in life, but also tiny things in life where we need to be held, we need to feel we belong and we need to be witnessed by our community and our transformation, putting this this idea of, of, of putting 
the power back in the hands of the people in terms of creating their own ceremony, that it doesn't necessarily have to be this mystical thing that's completely out of your reach because you, you weren't brought up in an indigenous tribe where there are many still amazing, ancient, cultural, indigenous practices going on, that we are able to sort of take influence from the ceremonies that still go on throughout the world and then rediscover our ancient ceremonies on this land because it wasn't that long ago and there is there are still some learnings to be had but yeah also that we can we create our own magic tell me what you mean by that how do you create your own magic well i think that um with any with any act of creation um it is an act of magic essentially so whether you're making a poem or whether you're beethoven composing a symphony that is Beethoven's magic. And it can be played again and again. I'm taking this directly from, I can't remember his name, but I heard him on the Duncan Trestle podcast. And he's a proper magic man. Sorry, guys, I'm just having to head inside now because it started to rain. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about what, um, something you heard on the Duncan Trestle podcast. Yeah, about magic. Yes, and so I think I'm certainly guilty of it, and it's not really a, a guilt necessarily, but it certainly happens to me where I'm like, oh, I don't, ha- you know, I can't do this, I don't have the knowledge, and you know, how am I ever, how will I ever be worthy of trying to, you know, create this thing or, you know, have this practice or call myself that sort of thing? Whereas so much of the time, it, it it's just about practicing creativity. Just keep doing it, and. And you, you are literally creating your own magic, your own spells of sorts, which can then weave through everything that you do and affect people and touch people in different ways. And I do really believe that. And I, and I do feel that I'm getting more, not necessarily witchy, but, you know, I, I'm really, really enjoying my spiritual exploration. And to be honest, that was sort of my routine, was the new scientist and I was constantly like really expanding. Um, I was really like stretching my 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 imagination by trying to wrap my head around some of these really mad scientific concepts that I'd had no interest in as a you know as a teenager or in school. What it, what happened then was I I was quite regularly, and I'm talking about pretty much every day. I was sort of existing in this quite existential place where I was really questioning things on a metaphysical level all the time. And then I lost a baby. Mm. And I think being in that place then coupled with the grief um, started me on this journey, on this exploration, which also coincided with this yearning to want to do something like at a grassroots level in terms of trying to save the world. Yeah, it's strange how those sort of really terrible moments can also spark something that's that's really positive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's all growth, isn't it? And often some of the most, mm. you know, uncomfortable growth happens in those periods where we are most challenged. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a bit earlier, Charlotte, about how integral sort of sound is going to be to 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 this project and and how it's going to have a presence there. Are you going to be inviting um, creatives, musicians, people like that to come to the project to be part of it, to create, to feel inspired? Is that something you vision for it as well? I would love that. I've been so focused on the renovation and the community side that 
Um, I need to do a lot more research and development in terms of what the offer is going to be um, of the place or what's it, what it's going to be called or, uh, you know, any of that stuff. So I'm quite early on in the process. <laughs> yeah. um, I love the idea of it being a place of, you know, communion and collaboration and magic. I do think that it is, I mean, you can feel it as soon as you're there. You're like, whew, there's some strong, strong stuff em- emanating from <laughs> from this here land. So I I would love I would love for that to be the case. There is an amazing uh I don't know if you'd call it a healing retreat center um in California called Esalen which has been going since the 60s or 70s. And that's sort of what I would love to model what we do on because I mean now it's become you know like a world class education facility that it is this this place where you're people are really seriously exploring what it is to be human, what, what is the point, why are we here, all of these huge questions. The Alwyn Project, as you already said, is like a democratic learning community for, for people that aren't aware of it. They can obviously go online and read about what you've, you've been doing there for a few years now. I wanted to ask how that's all going and also just a question about climate education because, I mean, certainly climate science wasn't on the curriculum when I was at school and I still don't think it massively is now. As an issue, obviously, like there's, there's almost no greater threat to our times than the climate crisis and yet it doesn't seem to be mirrored in our education and possibly even more tellingly it's not been mirrored in our in our media for for very long at all so yeah i wondered climate action at the Awan project what function and role does that play with you i mean firstly we're in the forest constantly they are immersed in nature and the seasons our new site now we we've got a collaboration with the woodland trust so they're really great with providing us um, different educational opportunities. At the site that we're on, part of it is ancient woodland, but part of it is a really young woodland that was planted at the millennium. Um, and so now they, the kids have got, or the young people have got this narrative where they're custodians of this and they're growing alongside this young woodlands, um, which is, I mean, it's going to be an incredible education for for the next couple of years. But I mean, climate's a huge part of, and climate action and climate science um, is really important to us. Um, as you've, as you rightly pointed out, this is a central tenet of existence now. So it, that's that's the role that it should play within education, which it does with us. One of the things that we are really trying to get across is is that 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 we're also trying to get to the the parents we're also trying to affect the the situation at home as well rather than taking a child out of their context and educating Mm -hmm. them you know away from the family we're trying to provide a much more sort of wraparound service but then you know that also is very important just in terms of little things like our last exhibition Mm -hmm. that we did last year was called Trash Monsters, where we collected all of the rubbish from the forests and the beaches. And it was like a seven, eight week project where people were, families were going out on weekly litter picks and such and collecting materials to make these trash monsters. And then we had an exhibition in our forest of these amazing sculptures that the kids have made, which all had really interesting backstories and stuff. But you know, it had been this real tale about how we're polluting the earth in in, in yeah. so many ways. There are really creative ways in which to thread this story through education and through our children's mm. experiences without freaking them out. 
without making them feel helpless. So we're really passionate um, about climate education and we want to do as much as we possibly can. Another part of what we're going to be doing is um, teaching them how to grow, how to grow vegetables, how to grow foods. We're going to be doing forest gardening, permaculture. We're also going to be doing sustainable buildings. They're going to actually build their own school um, using sustainable materials. So whether that's, I mean, the thing is, I'm... uh, I, I can't express it very well because everything's co-created. And so I don't know what they're going to create or what builds it or what sustainable <laughs> methods that they're going to use. Yeah. Fostering that connection with the earth, fostering the connection with the seasons and us taking our rightful place amongst the incredible nature that's, that's, that's all around us. That I think mm. is a huge part of what needs to happen in terms of education is that we need to feel a part of nature, that we are nature ourselves and that we do have this divine duty to be custodians of this absolutely, exceptionally beautiful, savage, excellent, perfect place. I couldn't agree more. And I think there's a slight sort of sense that when people think about climate change, we, we just feel like, oh, we've done this to ourselves. We deserve it. It's, it's kind of almost like collective self-harm, self-flagellation. We feel like it's us against nature or nature against us. And this doesn't help people feel like they have agency or, or they belong. Or I, I, feel, um, I feel really hopeful about the future. The, the thing that I get a bit skew if on is where tech comes in. Because actually, I'm a bit anti-tech, and I'm a bit of a Luddite, and I'm a bit of a self-imposed Luddite. You know, I'm really, I'm strict with my kids and their screen use and technology and stuff. And I struggle with it myself, with phone addiction, and because I just think that attention is the most precious thing that we have. Like, everything comes from attention. And when our attention is being gained, essentially, you know, I can't help but feel a bit anti-tech. But I, you know, some of my most enlightened, glorious friends um, completely, you know, we have we have long disagreements about how, you know, no, this can't, this, this whole, this whole utopian change, the great turning, the great awakening, whatever you want to call it, by which we were all very much hoping comes before mm. it's too late. Um, they, they argue that, tech is a huge part of it and is the only way in which it could happen maybe we're just cutting our teeth maybe this is our infancy mm. and actually the the people in charge the google amazon facebook apple i get concerned about tech but i would i i would love to see it be used more ethically really mm. i had one final question charlotte it was about where the sort of um the motivation for creating these projects comes from is it usually from like the absence of something so like the album project was it because you you felt there was an absence in traditional the traditional education set up for how you wanted your children to learn you know and and, and with something like the Rydal dog project is that because you feel like you know there's there's an opportunity there that's that's a sort of positive thing that you can create and, and you're not seeing it elsewhere so do these things often just come from you saying like why aren't these things there and also not sitting around waiting for say governments to organize themselves to do it you, you you seem so proactive in that sense you're just like right well i'm going to start this community i'm going to i'm going to help 
build this facility to create this community i think it often comes from a place of great naivety actually <laughs> honestly <laughs> you know actually that not not being from that industry you know it not being what you know about necessarily i think it's really interesting when people without uh, knowledge and in, in a certain sector come and you know, bring their expertise. And, and, and I think that creates like a an interesting conflict and challenge, which hopefully aids change. I mean, really, on, on a simple level, with the Owen project, um, I had been uh, questioning mainstream education since my kids were young. Mm. Um, so it had been percolating for quite a long time. And then I think this idea of children's rights and how quite potentially a, um, a radical understanding from my point of view is that, you know, children are one of the last groups to be liberated on earth. Mm. Um, and that actually a lot of what we do to them in, in their education is coercion at best. And, and, and having sort of letting that realisation sink in then gave me such fire. Mm to to that and and then I basically like for three years I worked myself into a stupor to research um and to develop the Owen project and then to set it up it was so much like only to the detriment of my personal life Mm. um and even my own family and my own kids for a little Mm. while because I became obsessive and in a way, you almost need that. You need that energy to get something going. But yeah, really, it was because there was nothing around that I wanted my kids to go to where I, I felt that they could be themselves, that they could explore, that they had agency and that they wouldn't be coerced and patronised. So, so it, I mean, really, it came it came from them or, or at least my my need for to want to for, for them to be to be able to be themselves in a space where they could also be with their peers and such and then with the healing retreat center I think that was slightly different I think that was the land I think I fell in love with this valley with this woodland with these waterfalls <laughs> it's just it's so magnificent and I listened, I listened in and I listened to the land. And then I thought this place, because of the water particularly, a lot of waterfalls there. It's right next to the Elan Valley, um, which there's a load of reservoirs in the Elan Valley that feeds the Midlands with the majority of their water. And, the, and there was just something very clearing and cleansing about the whole, the whole place. And, I, and so I think that idea actually came came from the land, came from trying to be quiet and slow and listening to what the land wanted. Good luck with it all. It just sounds incredible. Love to visit there at some point. Sounds absolutely stunning. Absolutely. As soon as we're open, I'll let you know. Yeah. Wh- wh- when are you <laughs> aiming for? Is it sort of sometime next year or? I'm hoping for June next year. Okay. But I'm 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 trying to let go of the outcome a little bit yeah. because I quite. I'd quite like to let, let this process be as joyous as it can be. And mm. if I'm holding on to the outcome too hard, then it'll make things a bit difficult. Yeah. But also business planning is really complicated <laughs> and not my forte. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. I'm so bad at it. Yeah. I did actually have a question that I'm kind of forming in my head, but I haven't quite fully formed it. So I'm just going to say words and then hopefully it'll form into a question. Lush. Just like, all the stuff you're doing now is so interesting and you've come from this like history of having this insane career when you're so young and this singing career that's 
an incredible voice, incredibly talented musician. Is there a direct link or a kind of thread that goes between the practice of being a musician, especially a classical musician, where the, the practice is really sort of um, fundamental um, to maybe the practice of the spirituality side of things or the earth? Is there a, a, same, a similar mindset or is it something that you have to kind of completely keep separate? Well, I think that music is is an expression of spirit in all of its forms. When you think back to early humans and how we've been doing all this stuff as as humans, then, you know, music has been just as much of an essential part of our existence Mm. as nature, Mm. you know, as, as all of it. Like, music is also right at the heart of, of this whole shebang. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think I always felt so soothed by being able to sing, by being a musician, by being able to make music. Like it always felt like a great privilege um, to to be able to call that my profession and to be doing it regularly, really. Um, so certainly in healing terms, I think that, you know, music is absolutely essential. I think it's Bergson, the philosopher Bergson talks about this idea of time and time being a construct because of the way that we figure out time is all about space because it's all about the movement of the planets Mm. and, and such. So, but that actually Real time is what happens when music is playing. When you're lost in a performance or in a piece of music, whether that's that you're performing it or you're listening to it, you're completely outside of time. And and, and even to a certain extent in terms of memories and such, that's, that actually sometimes you're able to time travel. If you've got a you know a particular piece of music that you have got a really strong memory affiliated to, And, you know, when we think about people who have dementia and Alzheimer's and how, you know, music can bring those things back. So, uh, yes, I I think that music has been absolutely central to to my life thus far and continues to be just just magically woven throughout everything that, that, that I'm doing. I'm also quite passionate about making people who've forgotten how important music is sort of rediscover the joy how soothing how how much of a balm it is to the soul charlotte thank you it's absolutely amazing to hear about the projects that you're, you're working on super super inspiring stuff things that people sort of dream of but don't then pick up the tools and do but go through their life of thinking well i really want to do this thing so huge respect for just doing the thing even though like you say we we have no knowledge sometimes we just just start and see what happens totally absolutely and yeah i mean it's they've both been you know really hard going at times where i've just thought what am i doing what and why am i doing this why is this my life this is a stupid thing why did i decide to do this this is so hard um but then of course other times when it's just like oh my gosh i could not be prouder of these kids and their families and this thing that we've created or, um, you know, this community. I mean, it's just, um, it shapes your life, doesn't it? And gives it meaning. And like I said, we've all got to find 
how how we're going to do our bit to save the world. And it, it doesn't have to be a slog. It can be something that's like, it's life-giving. And, and I think there are more and more people who are doing this sort of stuff, who are taking the dive, particularly after COVID. I think so many people questioned, what's the point? Where's the meaning in my life? Why am I doing this? I've lost the thread. I've lost the thread of the point. And I'm hoping more and more people are just, yeah, jumping into the deep end, whether that's through, you know, sheer stupidity and naivety like me. Um, or, or whether it's something more focused and more of a, you know, a sort of forgotten passion. Firstly, and most importantly, Faye, when are you going to go for a gong bath with Charlotte Church? <laughs> Soon, I hope. That would be a dream. Um, it was so nice to talk to Charlotte about the kind of, that sort of spiritual side of things and something mm. like a little bit deeper than just, you know, the surface level of how do you green the music industry, but really taking it into the conversations that I love about the kind of deeper side of it, really. You were pretty excited about speaking to Charlotte before, weren't you? Yeah, I felt, honestly, I felt like a bit of a fangirl just because I've always just thought she's brilliant, especially hearing her talk on things like feminism and all sorts of things she's spoken out on. Um, so I was, yeah, really excited to talk to her and, and the conversation was great. I just think she's just such an inspiring person. Yeah, yeah, totally unguarded and just really, really engaging. In terms of a few things about the projects that she's working on, because she's so based in kind of nature, like the, you could kind of hear that in pretty much everything she was saying, it, just the importance of that groundedness and her relationship with the kind of her, the surroundings, it, you know, the, those those projects have come out of that. And it, and it just sort of, it made me think a bit about how we talked before about whether the pandemic would have an effect on people of their kind of general view of like outside space and spending time in the outdoors and the kind of healing qualities of all that. And particularly the Rydal Dog Project is, is completely rooted in that, isn't it? It's about getting people outdoors, working together within nature, you know, the sort of peace and the healing and, and the, the sort of restorative aspects and all those things that it can bring that a lot of us maybe forgot or have never seen perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just, the more we value nature, the more we it's going to come naturally to us to mm. preserve and protect it. You know, we preserve and protect our, <laughs> our phones. We put little covers on them and insure them and all this kind of stuff because our phones are so valuable to us. But it's like, then if you you know if you value nature more then it's just a natural step to then take care of it I think one thing I thought which I, I, I've always admired about Charlotte and with these projects just extends that even more after everything that she's done and been through she could just retreat from like the public eye and sort of build a wall around a large house somewhere and just kind of mm. get on with her life but what I love is her constant drive to somehow involve her community so she, she's doing these mm. projects and she wants to work with people she wants to learn I, I lost count in our conversation of the amount of time she, that she mentioned like oh I'd read this article or I'd spoke to this person she's she's just drinking it in the whole time and I always love that when mm. you speak to somebody who basically never wants to stop learning I think a lot of people leave school or the traditional education system and think like oh that's the bit where I did my learning Charlotte Church is a brilliant example of somebody that's just so driven to want to teach herself things and it's just I really really admire that yeah, absolutely. And then spread that knowledge in a non kind of preachy way, just, yeah, in a really warm, friendly 
kind way. I feel like I'm really like, oh, gushing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have her back on the podcast when the Ride or Dog project is complete, which mm. I think is going to be sometime in the middle of 2022. So good luck to Charlotte. It was brilliant to hear about it and all of her collaborators that are working with her on her project. Um, it was brilliant to have her on the podcast. Let us know what you thought of that conversation. Please do get in touch. You can message us. We are at sounds like a plan podcast on instagram and sounds like a plan podcast at gmail.com on email we've got two more episodes to go in this series and we've still got some great stuff to come before we go Faye, please can we have a recommendation from you for this week well this is the week that i recommend an amazing 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 book and it's called hope in the dark by rebecca solnit and mm-hmm. i read this a few years ago now, but it's um, a really, really easy to read book. It's not that long, but it's talking about how change is made and how you may not feel like it's happening, but all of these things kind of add up and suddenly these tipping points are reached and things change and you may not even... I think this is something that's really true for climate issues is that I'm pretty well aware that I'll never know whether all of this helped. You know, we'll never know if we make it or not because we'll pass away mm. before that. But it's basically a brilliant book that just reassures you that all of the good work does add up and to have hope and to have trust in the fact that you don't know what's around a corner in a good way. There's obviously like mm. scary things can be around a corner, but really, really positive things that we'd never expect it can be as well. And everyone's little bits of work in different areas sort of creates a big tapestry that creates change. So mm. that's Rebecca Solnit, Hope in the Dark. That sounds exactly what me and a lot of people could do with right now. So like, let's, let's, absolutely. I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, Faye, you know that I absolutely love a podcast recommendation. Traitor. I know, I just send people off to different podcasts. This one is called The Yikes Podcast and it's co-hosted by Michaela Loach and Joe Becker. And it's a podcast about modern activism. So looking at everything from the climate crisis through to racism. In their words, Yikes says they're a podcast which leans into the yikes of the world rather than letting it overwhelm us. Uh, we break down the issues in an accessible intersectional and nuanced way to guide us through action together i came across this podcast after we heard michaela speak in glasgow at cop 26 during the fridays for future gathering in in george square in in glasgow she spoke there alongside greta thunberg a number of brilliant uh, land defenders and young climate leaders that was a kind of afternoon of standout moments to be honest but michaela's speaking on the subject was absolutely brilliant and so i wanted to go out and see more of her work and she's just so insightful and really courageous as well because Michaela is part of the group called um, Pay to Pollute who next month are taking the UK government to court to stop public payments being made to the big polluters so a salute to her work and her brilliant podcast do go and check it out and the latest episode is an interview with Vanessa Nakate which is a perfect shot of energy a bit like Faye's recommendation if you are feeling a bit glum about the outcomes of COP26 so do go and check that out that's it from us on Sounds Like a Plan. Thank you for listening and we will be back with you with more very soon. Thanks for streaming this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. Faye Milton was your host along with me, Greg Cochran. This podcast is made by New Allotment. You can find more about them at newallotment.com. Parts of this episode were recorded at Pirate Studios, Tottenham, London. Pirate offer a range of modern and affordable recording and rehearsal spaces at more than 25 locations across the UK. They're open 24-7. For more info or to book a studio, hit the link in our show notes. This episode has been 
been edited by Mighty Moon Media and the artwork is by Stuart Stubbs. Our theme music was created by lightandthunder.com. Until next time we're together, thank you for listening.